The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. Father, we bow in the realization that without that, we're going to waste our time this morning, so we ask for a ministry of your Spirit powerfully in our lives. We pray that you would mold us, that you'd break us to a place of uh, responding the right way to his teaching and his leading in our lives. I pray in your name. Amen. Please have a seat. And we are going to Joshua chapter 2 today. A couple of years ago, uh, first day of school down here in Edwardsburg, I was driving the uh, uh, bu bus. I was driving the mor morning route. It was the first day of school. I was subbing for somebody, but I was leading the procession of buses down US 12 out for the first day. Everybody's anxious, ready to go on a September morning. And I've told you this before. Most people, when they don't pay attention that they're driving, they end up going too fast. I do not. I go real slow. And I was thinking about the route and enjoying the day and just going down 12. And the drivers are all hooked up by, you know, CB radios. Uh, so uh, eventually I heard this voice says, uh, number 24, did you forget what your right foot's supposed to do right now? Because uh, I was kind of putzing down the road. There's a little embarrassing when a 70-year-old woman calls you out for going too slow. But... <sighs> But nonetheless, uh, we got through there. I was thinking, though, um, as I start to look at Joshua this week, Joshua chapter 2, Joshua has 24 chapters. If we're going to get through it at the rate we're going, we're going to be here till Christmas. Uh, so I was thinking I need to kind of figure out what my right foot does and press on the gas. But I say that, I couldn't do it. I got to chapter 2, and I was like, this is just too good. I can't press on the gas. We have got to dig into this. we got to really dive into Joshua chapter 2. Uh, hopefully, you'll see uh, what I mean here as we look at the story of a lady named Rahab. Now, a quick little uh, word game for you here for a second. Fill in the blank. Andre the giant. Okay, great uh, wrestler, first one in the Hall of Fame, and then, of course, in that classic Princess Bride movie. Uh, he was in there. Okay, how about this one? The Rock, okay, again, actor or wrestler turns actor like that. Okay, let's, this is for the old timers, you ready? The Duke, John the Duke, uh, th that's right, d d uh, John Wayne. Now we'll, we'll, we'll switch biblical now, we'll go biblical on you, mess you all up. John the, and know any other ones? John the disciple, beloved, ever hear that one? Okay, yeah, let's, let's act like we know the Bible, too. Uh, let's try that again. <laughs> know the actors, but uh, the Bible, that's a little rougher here. Okay, this one's a little harder here. We'll see. If, there's a couple of them that go with this, but also from the Bible. Uh, Garfunkel, yeah, that's where I was going. Yes. Simon, Simon and Garfunkel, that's uh, right where we wanted to go with that. Anybody know Simon the... Zealot, uh, very good. There are two Simons that were disciples, Simon Peter, and they distinguished the other one by saying Z Simon the Zealot. He was a part of a band of zealots who wanted to overthrow Rome. Uh, there's also Simon the Sorcerer in Acts chapter 8, a little trivia foot there for you. Okay, this one, we have Solomon the Wise. Yeah, I've never actually heard that phrase, but I looked them up, uh, you know, on Google, and that came up, Solomon the Wise, so I thought I'd go with that. And then we have this poor girl we're going to talk about today, who, is, of course, is simply known as Rahab the prostitute or harlot. Isn't that terrible? 
<laughs> Actually, as we'll see her story today, we will see that uh, there's some great things about her that we can learn. In fact, it wouldn't really even be bad, you know, people look for biblical names for their daughter. Uh, you know, it wouldn't be terrible when you see her whole life, but I don't know that this one's going to catch on and become real popular. Um, call my daughter Rahab. I did have a friend who had a dog named Rahab, but uh, that's. Uh, but I don't think it's going to catch on real big time uh, for girls. I doubt that. Well, where did we get that thing? Actually, let's start with verse number one. And Joshua, the son of Nun. Actually, I'm going to stop there for just a second. I have always said the son of Nun. I found out this week that it actually should be pronounced Nun. It's more of a Hebrew pronunciation, and all, also that doesn't offend our Catholic friends who say, hey, a nun cannot have a son. But, uh, but anyway, the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Um, now, I'll come back to her in just a second here. It is interesting that as they're going into the promised land now, they send two spies. Anybody remember from back in the book of Numbers how many spies they sent before? Twelve. Two had a good report, but there were twelve that were sent. And uh, 10 said, uh, we can't do it. And two, Joshua and Caleb said, hey, yep, let's go. God has promised this. This is, this is our lamb. I just mentioned that to say there are many times in Scripture where you see God reduce the size of his force. In other words, uh, in God's economy, more is not always better. Uh, a lot of times he'll take his army and kind of whittle it down here. And in this case, the number of spies that go in, he whittles it down. But let's talk about, uh, we're, we're going to say it like this, come back to that. Let's talk about her fame or what she was famous for, which is, unfortunately, she was known as Rahab the harlot. In fact, when I Googled sermons on, on Joshua chapter 2 this week, um, there's some great titles. I'll, we'll see which one you like best for the sermon here. One, one sermon was titled, uh, The Shady Lady of Jericho. Probably, probably don't go with that one. How about this one, though? From the House of Shame to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, uh-huh. Wait, I'm going to say that again. You go, oh, okay. That's your response. Is, oh, that's pretty good. From the house of shame to the hall of fame. Yeah, see, that's pretty good because we're going to see she shows up in Hebrews chapter 11, which is called the hall of fame of faith. So she starts off, and now, you, you get it? Uh, one was from prostitute to princess. We might not love the sound of that, but truth is she becomes a member of the most royal line that there is ever. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. Uh, how about from harlot to her hero? That's kind of, or hero, heroine, I guess I should say. Uh, but uh, then we have, uh, oh, this is my favorite. Okay, this is one I like. If I was stealing a sermon title from somebody else, this is the one I'm taking. From someone, uh, I'm sorry, from a lady who walks in the night to a lady who walks in the light. Oh, Come on, that changed your life right there. Uh, that, that's, that's a pretty good title. But I do want just to talk about this, if you want to say the reputation that she has. Um, there are a few scholars or whatever have debated and said, hey, maybe she wasn't really a harlot, she was just an innkeeper. So I dug into that. I really don't think that was the case. Uh, when I study the language, especially when I look at the words used throughout the New Testament, it goes to that word pornea, uh, the Greek word. And uh, again, I do think this is exactly what she was. She was a uh, harlot or a woman of uh, the evening or whatever word you want to say there. But I love uh, just this as a place to start. 
Okay, first of all, I want you to understand this is not an accident. God didn't say, oh, hey, how'd we end up with, with Rahab in this story? That's not how it works. This was by God's design that he brings Rahab into the story, and we'll see how he brings Rahab into his story. That's what he's doing. It was on purpose. A parallel passage is in the New Testament in John chapter 4 where Jesus said he had to go through Samaria, and he meets with a woman, again, a woman of shady reputation. Uh, but he said, I must go there because she needs to know about salvation. We're going to go through there. Uh, this is his plan. God did not by accident come across Rahab. This is all part of his plan and his design that he would use this woman that is indeed a harlot or a prostitute. You know, so how, how exactly does that work? You know, what is going on? But I think as we start with this, one of the things that we need to remember, one of the main ideas that we ought to take away from the story is where she started, okay, where she began. We are familiar with the uh, opening line of Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. The saved day. Yeah, and we all know those words, and we could sing those words, but I don't know that we really identify much with the word wretch. Uh, the author did. The guy who wrote it was a slave trader. He thought of himself as a wretch. He understood that. But I think it is worthwhile that we do the same. I saw a story this week uh, about a little boy in a junior church, and the teacher asked the question, said, hey, what do you need to do to be saved? The little boy raised his hand very proudly, and he said, Sin! Now, if you think about it, good point. Uh, if, you, if you're going to be saved, you got, there's got to be something from which you are saved. And understanding that place where we start in wretchedness. And hey, the good news is, if sin is, sinning is what you need to do to get saved, we all qualify. Uh, but that is that starting place there. So in our story, that's where we start. I guess this uh, calling it fame might not be great, but I had to stay with a word to start, or yeah, a word that started with the letter F because here's the main point, okay? And you know I have to have alliteration or I can't sleep at night. So uh, our set, we, what we really want to focus on in this story as we go through is her faith. Okay, and, and see how it is demonstrated, how it is lived out, how it goes on display. So in verse number two, and it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, remember these men now are in her house, which is along the wall there at Jericho. Uh, I think there is an inn there that is part of this, but uh, these men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent Rahab, say, uh, I'm sorry, sent to Rahab saying, bring out these men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. He's getting a little paranoid here. But the woman said to uh, the, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where they went. Pursue them quickly. You will be able to overtake them. But what she had actually done is she had brought them up to the roof and she had hid them in the stalks of flax. Uh, you know, the flat roofs that they had back then were great places for drying the crops, so they would have these up there, and she had hid them underneath this. So the men pursued them uh, on the way to uh, Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone. Okay, so you get what happened here. Uh, they the king of Jericho heard about them, says, hey, get over there, Rahab's house. We got these spies here, and what does she do? Now, remember, she is praised for this, but she has hidden them. She has lied. So the first point is just kind of a fun little discussion to get you to think about. I want you to notice her civil disobedience. Some of you are ready to pull out your militia badges. I'm ready uh, with, with that. But um, 
when you look at that idea of civil disobedience, it definitely is something that is praised here from this standpoint. And when it is defined like this, when the government asks you to go against God's revealed plan, the only proper response is disobedience. Okay, now I'm going to say that again. I think that is hard and fast in the Bible because the Bible tells us that we are to obey God rather than man. So when the government asks you to go against God's revealed plan, the only proper response is disobedience. However, of course, we can go from there into all types of different discussions as to, well, I think I'm disobeying, you know what I mean? That We can get into a lot of gray areas there, so we want to be careful. I actually have that on a question for the small groups this week, so you guys can fight about it and debate back and forth. You know, when is it okay to be civilly disobedient? But I think you need to be careful about it. The first job I had uh, when I came to this area I was assistant pastor of a kind of a small responsibility. My main job was to be a teacher in a Christian school. But I became, uh, within a few months, I became an administrator in the Christian schools because people recognize talent. Okay, that's not it. Uh, what happened is the previous administrator uh, started this little teaching and was building a little following of people, and he was telling them you shouldn't be paying your taxes. And he was building this up, and anyway, he ended up, they ended up with a little split, and he left, and I got promoted. <laughs> I got an office and money, so it all worked out well. Uh, but uh, the, the thing, uh, you know, you say, well, how could that be? Because didn't Jesus say, render to Caesar what is Caesar? Shouldn't you pay your taxes? But his thinking was that a lot of that tax money was going for things that were corrupt, and he shouldn't be paying for it. Now, I want to go on record as saying, I pay my taxes, you hear that? Uh, I pay my taxes. If anybody happens to be listening out, out there, so I'm not really fun. But you see what I mean? He kind of looked and he said, okay, this is an area, and we will have some disagreement on that. We'll also probably have some disagreement, honestly, on when lying is appropriate. You say, well, lying is never appropriate. Rahab did lie. She said they left. They didn't leave. They were up on the roof. Okay, she did lie. I mean, I really believe that if I'm in a situation where I have invaders in my home and I've told my wife to hide under the bed with the dog who's already there uh, and, uh, you know, and, uh, and they come in, they say, is anybody else in the house? I'm lying. You know, you can say, well, I don't think I should, and that's fine, but I'm lying. I should say this, too. We're going to have a, a marriage conference uh, or a marriage uh, retreat type thing coming up this year. We're working on planning that, but uh, I'm going to give you a little pre-marital advice. If the question ever comes, do I look fat in this? The answer is no. Uh, no matter what, uh, the answer is no. Okay, so I, I do, but anyway, like I said, I just thought that first little point to talk about civil disobedience, it's kind of fun to look at. We'll get into more serious aspect as we look uh, some more at what she did and study her faith. So before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land. Listen to those words. I know the Lord has given you this land. And that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Did you hear that? Do you remember the ten, uh, some of you know the story, the ten spies had come back and said, oh, they're too big, we can't go in there. Look at how the people of the land saw the people of Israel. They were scared out of their minds, okay? So a, a little bit of a different perspective here. For we have heard... If you're a Bible circler, you might want to circle that word heard there. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea uh, before when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, who were before the Jordan of Sion and, and uh, Og, whom you devoted 
to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any of us because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God. Isn't that incredible? That's a great statement. Uh, Rahab says, uh, knows, hey, I, I know that the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above all the earth and above all the earth beneath. But here's the idea about her faith that I want you to focus on for a couple minutes here. She believed what she heard. She believed without seeing. When so many other times we don't uh, even believe when we do see or others saw and they did not believe. Those who had come out through the Red Sea, those who had seen God give the victories that she talked about, many of them didn't believe and therefore they ended up wandering the wilderness for 40 years because they didn't believe even though they had seen. She had never seen it, but she had heard of the great stories of the conquest of their God, and she believed. Huge difference there. We have this mindset that we are going, if we see it, we believe it. But Jesus said, no. He said, it's actually a wicked generation that's seeking after a sign. You're not going to believe it just because you see it. You say you will. And yet we still have, uh, we call them miracle mongers, but, you know, hey, show me a sign. Show me something here. Get, you know, give me some type of proof. People get into something. Oh, I got to see a sign, and then I'll believe. I, uh, I was reading uh, about this this week. Back in the year 2024, a grilled cheese sandwich sold on eBay for $28,000. You say, well, I think I paid that last week in a diner. But this was back in 2024 before prices went up. Uh, and uh, But $28,000, uh, does anybody remember this? It's because they grilled it and it had what they thought was the Virgin Mary on there. It, it looked like the Virgin Mary. So $28,000 on eBay because somebody made a grilled cheese sandwich and they thought it had the, the face of the Virgin Mary on it. 2004. Did you buy it? Uh, <laughs> I want to see what it's worth right now. Uh, but uh, actually, we're going to go home and try to get creative this afternoon see what we can come up with with the grilled cheese sandwiches. I, I don't know. But, uh, but people love something that looks like a sign. You know, we, we can have this. And I want us to notice, again, the distinction here. I want us to focus on this idea that she believed without seeing. What's the Bible say? She heard. Okay, she heard. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. She heard and she believed. That is so awesome. So she knew, in the scripture we read, she knew they were going to win. And she knew that God would leverage all the garbage for his purposes. That's a good phrase there to remember. She knew that God would leverage all the garbage of this world for his purposes. When we were singing earlier, this is what I wanted to remember. We're singing, you're good, you're good, oh good. I know there are days, and I am sure today is one of those days for some of you when you struggle singing those words. You look at life, and here's Adam up here saying, come on, sing, good, good. And, and we're singing, and we're worshiping the Lord, but we're having a hard time saying, God, you are good because my life stinks right now. I'm having a hard time. But see what happens here, and we see this throughout Scripture. People see fruitfulness and blessing throughout the difficulty of their life, uh, just like Rahab does here, because she sees that God knows what he's doing. She sees that God is going to leverage all this to accomplish things for his glory. You have, uh, many of you have seen this before, I'm sure. What do you see? The duck? The rabbit, okay? Uh, how, many of you, how many of you see the duck first? Okay, how many of you see the rabbit first? 
Hey, we're about half and half. Uh, that's about it. But, you know, you've probably seen this used as an illustration before, but it is that idea of the way you get something in your mind and the way you look at it, uh, you know, determines what you see, and sometimes you can't wash it out of there. I see the bunny uh, every time. Eh, there's a rabbit. I have to stop and think, oh, yeah, it could be a duck, too. But uh, I, I see that every time, and I, it, just, it just pops in there. Your attitude, the way you see things, the lens through which you see life. There were ten spies that saw a small God and huge enemies. And when you see you see a small God, you see huge enemies. But there were two spies and now two more. And now this lady named Rahab who saw a large, large God. So she saw small enemies. Okay, and that look, that view that you have of life, and the faith of Rahab is just pictured in that beautifully again. Again, she believed what she did not see when others would not believe what they indeed saw. She believed what she heard. And I want to repeat that verse that I said before, faith comes by hearing. I know, broken record, but here you go. I got to do it again, folks. My job. Oh, where'd that thing go? Come here, Bible. Uh, I have got to regularly say, folks, oh, man, we need this thing in our lives. Okay, remember, remember what my job is, pastor, uh, the Bible also calls me overseer. Remember that other word, shepherd? Okay, a shepherd has got to say, eat. I got to lead you where food is. Got to show you the food and stuff like that. That's what a shepherd has to do. He's got to guide the sheep to a place like that. And I've got to be all the time saying, folks, come on. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But man, if I just saw a sign, if I saw something cool and special, uh-uh. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Let's go on a little bit further with old Rahab here and looking still at her faith. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly, Rahab's making a little deal here, as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with me and my, and my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all who belong to them, my whole family, and deliver them our lives from death. And then the men said to her, our lives for yours, even to death. If you do not tell the business of ours, you keep our little secret here, then when the Lord gives us this land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Okay? Deal. You understand what she's saying there, okay? I'm, I'm helping you out here. One thing I'm going to ask, my family, I'd like them protected, okay? And we see in Rahab's faith a focus on her family and the importance of that. I cannot, and I, I never want to try, determine, you know, with everybody, okay, well, this person over here is a true believer. This is not. I do not know hearts. But I do know there are some things in Scripture that are good evidence of somebody knowing the Lord. And one of them can be seen in Rahab right here. See, salvation... Uh, that relationship with Jesus Christ that comes through faith in him is such an incredibly good thing that you can't help but want to share it. And one of the signs of somebody who really gets it is they have something so good they have to share it with somebody else. And Rahab says, I want my family in on this, on getting saved too. Okay, I want them protected too. Another question that I have for the small groups this week to talk about is the idea of uh, how do we protect our families, you know, in, in this situation? What are some things that we do? And usually I encourage the small groups to be as specific as possible. With that, I told them not to be because uh, some, we all have some different things in different cultures. What I mean is one family might say, well, I protect my family. We don't have a TV in the house, okay? I'm not arguing with that at all, 
but I don't know that I'm going to stand up here and say nobody should have a TV. You might say we don't let our kids have cell phones until they're 35. Um, and uh, again, I'm not arguing with that at all, but I'm not going to stand up and say nobody should have a say. Do you know what I mean? I'm exaggerating with uh, the extremes. I'm sorry, I'm illustrating with the extremes, obviously, but I'm saying different families are going to have different rules of protection. I won't tell you what those rules should be, but I will tell you that's what we ought to do is we protect our family. Uh, in her faith, she says, hey, first of all, uh, I, I want them protected. I want them safe. And, uh, you know, and, and I'm going to do, and we'll get into that a little bit more as we get to the last thing that she is told to do as part of this little deal. Then she let them down by a rope through the window for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterwards you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless. In other words, we're going to keep what we said with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, okay, when, and that's what's going to happen next, the children of Israel are going to march in here, uh, you shall tie that scarlet cord that you let us down by uh, through the window through which you let us down, okay? I want you to tie that in the window. And you shall gather into your house your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your fa father's household. Then, if anyone goes out of the doors of the house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head. In other words, he's got to do what we said. He's got to be in, they've got to be in this safe place. And we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, the blood shall be on our head. Okay, I want us to, um, let me finish here for a second, but if you tell the business of ours, then we will be guiltless with respect to our oath uh, that you made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. And then she sent them away and they departed. And what did she do? She tied that scarlet cord in the window. Uh, let us just for a couple moments talk about the significance of this scarlet cord, this thread that is in the window. Uh, people have compared this to uh, the Passover blood that was spread over the uh, doorposts, that it is a uh, outward sign of an inward faith. But basically, in those last couple of verses we looked at, it says, okay, here is the, here's the prescription. You take this cord and you tie it in the window. Here's how to apply what I'm talking about. Get your family into the safe place. Put out that scarlet cord. Okay, protection, protection there. Um, very similarly, God tells us how we can apply, and I'm going to use weird terminology, I'll explain a little bit more, but how we can apply this scarlet thread to our lives. The scripture talks about that when we come to him, we come, two, two key words it repeats over and over again, repent and believe. I repent, I turn from my sin, I realize I need a savior. Now that's not the most popular part of the message, but it is a crucial part of the message because if he is a savior, there has to be something from which we need saved. That something is sin. That something goes back to what I talked about, you know, the wretchedness and recognizing that as the beginning. I need a savior. So repent and I turn to him and then I believe. I believe that what the words that he sa said, Jesus said, I am come that you might have life. He came to lay down his life that in exchange we would have life in him. Okay, now let's uh, wrap up and, and just apply a little bit more there. We talked about her fame. We talked about her faith. Uh, let's take just a minute and talk uh, 
finish up here about Rahab's future. Rahab is mentioned three places in the New Testament. One of them is in the book of Hebrews, where, like I said, this is called the Hall of Fame of Faith. In every case, the people that are the heroes of faith have done something. By faith, Abel did this, Abraham did this, Moses did this, Gideon did this, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel. All of them are mentioned in here, but this one woman also gets in there by the name of Rahab. By faith, somehow, they went into action. Now, in the book of James, she is also mentioned. The same way was all, not Rahab the prostitute. Notice that phrase uh, keeps describing her that way. Justified by works. Now, that's a confusing phrase when we first looked at it because, Pastor, you said we're justified by faith. Uh, uh, and most definitely we are. We are not justified by our works. That doesn't make us righteous. But when you study the context in James chapter 2, you find that when somebody has placed their faith in Jesus Christ, the evidence of that is some changes in their life and some work in their, in their lives. So we'll come back to that idea in, for a second here that she, it was obvious that she was justified by what she did. It became obvious. She didn't earn salvation. Salvation was purchased by the blood of Christ and only the blood of Christ as scarlet thread, but, uh, but because she had trusted in Christ, it changed the way that she lived. Now, I want to go to the third place where Rahab is mentioned in the New Testament because I think that is the most significant place. It's in Matthew chapter 1, verse number 5, and if you were reading through your Bible, you probably would have read like blah, 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 because this section is what is called the genealogies of Christ. But it says there, and Solomon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. Now, they're giving the line of Christ. So-and-so had this child. So-and-so had this child. So-and-so had this child. Well, Solomon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. So, in other words, Rahab is the mother then. Uh, Solomon was, and there are some who speculate that he was one of the two spies. We don't, we don't know that uh, for sure. But anyway, Solomon and, and they have Boaz. Boaz, some of you might remember that name from the book of Ruth, but he is the father of Obed. And then uh, Obed is the father of Jesse. Now, I don't have the next verse up there, but somebody might be able to tell me. Jesse is the father of David, King David in the royal line of Christ. Both Mary and Joseph, Jesus' parents, were descendants from David. So many prophecies about Jesus is that he would sit on the throne of David, that royal line. That's why I said before an appropriate title would actually be prostitute to princess because she was in the most holy line that there ever was, the line of Jesus Christ. Uh, the the genealogical line of Jesus Jesus Christ she she was there so they to me I, I just look at this and I just say wow <laughs> and incredible that this woman God specifically made sure that she was in that line that would bring the Savior into the world it reminds me that there are none of us that are so bad or no one is so bad they can't be saved. There's none so good that they don't need to be saved. Jesus, when he was talking to the Pharisees in uh, Matthew chapter 21, he told the Pharisees, the religious crowd, he told them that the tax collectors and the prostitutes would find heaven before they did. And, then, and that idea is both of these ideas up here. There's none so bad. Tax collectors and prostitutes were seen as the dregs of society. There are none so bad that they cannot be saved. 
And then the righteous of society, the Pharisees, are also get their place in there. Those are the ones that if you want to say they would be good. There are none so good, however, that they don't need to be saved. And that is one of the overwhelming themes, I think, of Scripture is that need for a Savior. And it comes clear, I think, in this story of Rahab. There are several things, actually, you know, I mentioned uh, finding these different sermon titles. I didn't listen to all of them, but I listened to several of the sermons about Joshua chapter 2. The themes that keep coming through is God's incredible power in battle, God's incredible power in redemption, and God's incredible power in transformation. Someone said this, Nature, or formed by nature, but then sin deforms us. Schools tend to inform us. Prisons want to reform us. Culture tries to conform us, but it is only Jesus that transformed. And I think one of the things that has to stand out when we see, again, this story of this Rahab the prostitute, we see her in the line, line of Christ, is the incredible power of Jesus Christ to transform a life. Somebody said this, if you have a religion that doesn't transform you, I'm sorry, let me change that. If you have a religion that doesn't change you, then you probably need to change religions, okay? Because when the God of the universe takes up residence in your life, when the king of all creation comes to live in your heart by faith, there will be something changes. And I've mentioned this in recent weeks. It's not an instantaneous that I am made perfect, but there is a change. There is something different in my life because God is there. And if he's really there, like going back to Rahab, there's something that I want to tell somebody else about, especially the people I love and care about in my family because he's there. He's in my life. Now, I want to go back throughout all of history, throughout all of Scripture, we find a scarlet thread, okay? And that scarlet thread is the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, that is kind of church talk, okay? What do you mean by the blood? You know, what, 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 what are you talking about with that? But what I, what I am saying by that, and when I'm talking about a scarlet thread, throughout all of history runs God's plan of salvation. And that plan from the very beginning, introduced way back at the beginning of the book of Genesis and runs through the end of Scripture, that plan was that God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. That son came and laid down his life. So when I talk about the blood, the scarlet thread through history, I'm talking about that life of Christ that was laid down. And we take some time, uh, usually about once a month around here, at the uh, instruction of Scripture to stop and remember that that blood was shed for us. So in in a few minutes... Um, there's going to be some music playing, and some folks are going to come up and serve themselves the Lord's Supper here. I'm going to set it aside. Uh, Justin, if you wouldn't mind doing that, your brother's uh, not here today. Just get that uncovered. Thank you. Um, and um, you'll see some folks get up and come up here, and we have a, uh, a basket here of, of crackers that represent the body of Christ. We have some cups of juice that represent the blood of Christ. And we'll, in a few minutes, we'll do what the Lord uh, did on the night before he was betrayed. He said, take and eat this. This is my body broken for you. And take and drink this. This is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. When we do that, what we are doing is stopping and remembering 
that there is a scarlet thread that has run down through history, through the course of Scripture, and it is something that I believe in. I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I have my faith and trust in that. If that's something, you, you know, I'm not sure I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm not sure I completely believe. Please feel completely free to just watch and just observe. Maybe use this time for a little prayer, a little meditation, and thinking about some of the things that we said. But for those who want to, I want to encourage you, when the music starts in a minute, to come on up here. There are elements here. They're also back underneath the uh, sound booth there that you can go to and take that. And then when everyone's back in their seats, we'll stop and we'll take the Lord's Supper together. But we are remembering that thread that runs throughout history. And that scarlet thread is the shed blood of Jesus Christ or the fact that God gave his son a sacrifice for sin so that we don't have to pay for sin. By, by the way, we couldn't, couldn't if we wanted to, okay? We, we, we couldn't. We couldn't uh, somehow pay for somebody else's sin because we have our own sin to pay for. But the perfect Lamb of God, and by, by the way, that's what this, this is the body. He came and lived in a body, lived a perfect life. And that body was broken for us, so we remember that body they lived in. And then also the blood of Christ, and that he laid down that life as a sacrifice for sin. So I'm going to pray. Afterwards, the music's going to start. Like I said, you'll see some folks begin to serve themselves, uh, uh, the communion elements. If you'd like to participate, you are invited to if your faith is in that blood of Christ. If you'd rather watch for whatever reason, please feel completely comfortable just to do that and observe. Father, um, Lord, every month I do this. I, I need to plan this so that I don't. I start to say thank you for the blood, and I think, I think God sent your son to pay the price for my sin, and it just seems so lame that I, I start into a prayer without even thinking about what I'm saying. Lord, I pray that you take all of our hearts and just draw us to the seriousness of what we're going to do now that the significance that the God of the universe loved us so much that he was willing to pay the price for our sin, offering his son as a substitute. And, uh, yeah, Lord, would you just take the next few minutes, and, w Spirit of God, would you overwhelm us with that truth as we stop to remember what Jesus did for us? I ask this, Father, in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.